I just woke up and said, hmm, I really want to write a sermon on storytelling or stories. Uh, it's kind of been more of like a passion for me. Um, I was driving, um, I actually wrote this for uh, college students, and I wrote this, man, I wrote this before the pandemic, I wrote this before George Floyd, I wrote all this stuff before everything that's going on in 2020 happened. And since then, I've really actually looked and seen, wow, it's even more important now that we understand the idea of story and what our story is and the story of the people across the street from us. I was driving on uh, 64, and if you know 64, you know there's always some kind of construction going on. It doesn't matter when or where, but there's always something going on, and that usually means that there's going to be traffic. Um, and, you know, when you're driving and there's traffic, heavy traffic, tensions are high. You might say some stuff you probably don't mean. You might say some unchristianly stuff like I did. Um, and so I was driving. I was stuck in traffic. I was just trying to get home because it's Christmas and I'm ready. Uh, and, and all of a sudden, someone, like, I'm driving, and then someone cuts me off. And, man, I was ready. I was about to step out of my car and throw down. But as I'm driving, you know those, like, feelings when you, like, you just want to see their face. You just want to, like, give them that look like, Shouldn't have cut me off. I was ready to give this person that look, and as I was driving, I felt the Holy Spirit, like I was literally coming up to the car, and I was ready, and I felt the Holy Spirit say, I wonder what their story is. I was like, what? God, don't take this from me. I really want to be mad right now. Like, I need to be mad right now. This person just cut me off, almost killed me. I need to be mad. Like, I deserve to be mad. And he kept saying, I wonder, man, I wonder if... They're on their way to the hospital, and this traffic is keeping them from saying goodbye to their grandmother. Or I wonder if this person just lost their job, and they're so distraught, they don't know what else is going on, and they're just trying to get home to talk to their wife or husband about that. They don't know how they're going to pay rent. I wonder what their story is, and I think if we had a lot uh, a lot of the issues today, especially with an election, right? You see someone say, oh, I'm a Republican. Well, automatically, you're just like, you're dumb. Or a Democrat. And then it's automatically like, you're an idiot. But if we actually looked and actually engaged in the person's story, we would find that we have more in common than we do differences, right? Like if you were to ask a Republican, hey, do you want your family to be safe? Yeah, I want my family to be safe. Or you ask a Democrat, I want my family to be safe. Yeah, we have more in common than we do differences. And if we would engage in the stories of the people across the street from us, we would find that most of the problems in the world would disappear. I believe this. I believe that stories bridge the gap between ignorance and understanding. See, you have no idea what someone is going through. You have no idea why somebody believes the things that they believe. You have no idea why people are the way that the, they are unless you actively engage in their story. And I thought how powerful this was. And I looked at the posture of Jesus in the Gospels. He constantly engaged in people's stories. He engaged in the people who we would assume were not worthy to be engaged. We, he engaged with the people we don't want to engage with. And in this story, John chapter 4, probably one of my, my favorite, uh, in my favorite gospel, my favorite story, uh, we see Jesus engaging in the story of a particular person. See, ancient Israel uh, might have actually looked a lot more like it we do today in America. There's divide, 
There are uh, religious divisions. There are political divisions. There are racial divisions. In fact, there, there's an entire people group whose, whose stories are supposed to be avoided. See, imagine, if, if you will, a, a kingdom being taken away, and then, then this kingdom that, that conquered Israel put its own citizens in, and then they started mixing, they started marrying. And you get this group called the Samaritans. Now, for the Jews, you were not allowed to talk to Samaritans. You were not allowed to go to Samaria. And I think we could probably pull some things and put that in today. You were not supposed to talk to those people. You're not supposed to look at those people. You're not supposed to be around those people. These Samaritans, the Jews are supposed to avoid Samaria. But what we see in this story is that Jesus did the exact opposite. In fact, there's this woman, and, and she's at a well. And if you pick up and read with me in uh, verse 1, it says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, so about noon. Jesus is tired, and there's a lot of stuff we could talk about, like how God gets tired. Imagine being infinite God, and then your feet are getting tired. He, he's thirsty. He has to go through Samaria. Now, we know Jesus, Jesus doesn't have to do anything. And yet, for Jesus, he has to go through Samaria because there's a story that he needs to engage in. He needs to engage in this woman's story that we're going to read about. And, and, and the funny thing is, for, for me, there is stories around wells. Jesus at Jacob's well. This is where three biblical characters met their wives. So if you're online, you're single, go to a well. I'm surprised there's no dating app called The Well. That's where three biblical characters met their wives. That's where uh, wells were strategic primarily because that is where you get a source of water, obviously. But during like military campaigns, people would automatically just go for the nearest well and conquer that. Because there's stories around wells. And so for the people who are, who are listening to John read his gospel, who are listening, people are like, what's, what's going to happen? Jesus is at the well. Not only a well, Jacob's well. Something's going to go down. And people automatically have these assumptions about what is going to happen. And I'm sure for the listeners, their assumptions would have been blown out of the water. Because this story challenges the assumptions of ancient Israel, and it challenges us Today And I want to make three observations about this story. And we keep reading in verse 7. It says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So, so immediately, stopping right there, immediately we see this. We see that Jesus invites this woman to give him a drink. Now, we might think Jesus is saying, like, hey, give me a drink. No, he's tired. He's like, please, like, give me a drink. I'm thirsty. Jesus is inviting this woman to give him a drink. Now, the cultural norm, not only is she a Samaritan, but she's also a woman. So, I mean, talk about bad luck. Like, you are a, a Samaritan and a woman. 
Jesus shouldn't even talk. Like, Jesus shouldn't ask her anything. Jesus shouldn't be looking at, like, everything about cultural standard, Jesus should have just followed and have, have just looked away and gotten his own water. But we see Jesus invites her. Jesus invites us to tell a better story. We see that Jesus invites this woman to get a drink of water. In verse 9, it says the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So Jesus invites us to tell a better story. Jesus invites this woman to get him a drink of water and in, in doing so to tell a better story. Now, here's one of the things I find interesting about stories. One, one is that who are you inviting, one, into your story, and who are you inviting uh, for their story to be told? So, so when I am looking at the story of my life, when I look at the people I've surrounded myself with, are they more like me, or are they people who are not like me? Are the people I invite into my story, do they look like me, do they talk like me, or... Are they people whom society would say, you're not supposed to talk to those people? In fact, I think if Jesus were here to, today, he would, he would say the people who, who society says you are not supposed to talk to, who, whose stories you're not supposed to uh, invite and, and have be invited into your story, those are the people that you need to go to. Those are the people that you need to say, hey, I want to walk alongside you and I want you to walk alongside me, and we engage in each other's stories. So are you inviting people who are not like you? Are you inviting people who don't look like you? Jesus is inviting people, people who, who he doesn't look like, people who arguably look exactly opposite, this Samaritan woman. Of all the people he's inviting into a story, it shouldn't be her, and yet we see that he goes and invites her to give him a drink. So who are you inviting? The second thing is, is this, what are we inviting people to? You are inviting people into your story when you ask them, hey, I want you to walk alongside me in my life, and I also want you to come and experience uh, what Jesus has done in my story. I want to invite you to what Jesus has done in my story. Are you inviting people to Jesus? See, for a lot of us, for me included, a lot of us were invited. We were saying, hey, come meet this man. And, and somehow, somewhere along the way, we got switched. And we were invited to a list of rules. We were invited to religion. And we were invited to things that we need to do to be good. Invited to, to this God that is going to be mad when we mess up. That's what we were invited to. That's what so many people are invited to. You ask anybody uh, who's been a part of the Catholic Church, and, and, and there, there's your answer. People have been hurt by the church. People have been hurt by rules and trying to keep all these rules. And this woman, even, even though she's a Samaritan, she still keeps these rules because she is still uh, technically Jewish. So she's keeping these rules, but Jesus ultimately is inviting her to a relationship. Not just rules, not just you need to check off this box, not just I went to church, not just I did this good thing. Jesus is inviting her to a relationship. Jesus is, is inviting her to drink. What are we inviting people to? Jesus 
uh, explains in verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, uh, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. See, Jesus isn't, isn't just inviting us to, to continually drink from these wells, drink from these, these empty empty things, this empty rule following, Jesus is inviting us to, to drink in the, the relationship that he wants with each one of us that's going to spring into eternal life. Now what Jesus is saying, he's not just saying like, hey, there's going to be some like well that grows up inside you and you're just going to be fine. No, he's actually talking about an actual river that you will be able to go and drink to your heart's content, that you will be able to go to a river of life in a relationship with him. So when Jesus invites us to a relationship, he's inviting us to a drink eternal life. He's inviting us to something more, and he's inviting us to tell a better story through that. And, and a lot of us wonder, like, me, I, I wonder a lot of times, can Je like, is Jesus really inviting me to something? Because a lot of times it seems like he's just taking over and not really, like, letting me have a say in my life or he's not really letting me have a say in what I want my story to be. But this woman, once we realize that this woman is going back and forth every day at noon, we realize that the, the story that we tell without Jesus is one where we continually go back to empty wells, things that run dry, rules, religion, and those, those, don't, those don't well up to eternal life. Those don't well up to the kind of people that God wants to be in the story that he wants us to tell. The relationship with him, though, the river that flows from a relationship with him is what we want. So who are you inviting and what are you inviting them to? Let me continue reading. Uh, in verse 16, Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. So the second thing we notice that Jesus does with our story is that Jesus confronts the wounds in our story. Now what does that mean? Like, the reality is each one of us has a story, and each one of us most likely because we are fallen humans has a wound. Somebody hurt us. We hurt somebody, and there is a wound in our hearts. Jesus says to this woman, you have had five husbands. Now, if, if I'm the woman, I'm like, okay, Jesus, let's, let's calm down. Let's, let's change the subject. I don't want to talk about that right now. And a lot of us do that. A lot of us do this, this dance that we see. Uh, in, in fact, she, I mean, she goes on and says, like, I know you're a prophet. Uh, she, she, the woman says in verse 19, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. So we do this like dance of, of Jesus confronts the wounds and like, hey, I really need you 
to forgive that person. And then we come around and say, well, Jesus, what really is forgiveness? Do I really need to, like, forgive him? Do I need to like him? Or, or maybe, uh, maybe it's, it's just, for me, like, I have, you know, gone to school for, for biblical studies, and so I'm good at doing that theological dance of, like, I really don't want to talk about the personal stuff. I'd rather talk about, like, you know, theology. I'd rather talk about, like, who God is. What is, like, what's heaven going to be like? I want to talk about stuff like that. I don't want to talk about the stuff in my life. I don't want to talk about the wounds that are in my life. And we all have one. If you're here today or you're watching online, you have a wound. And the question is, have you let Jesus come in and heal that wound? See, he doesn't say this. He doesn't say this so that he can just poke fun at the woman. You've had five husbands. You're such a bad Christian. You, you don't know how to stop drinking. You're such a bad Christian. You, you, you have this wound, and so you go to this thing. You are such a bad Christian. Jesus doesn't do that. He just says, what you have said is true. You've had five husbands. You drink too much. You let your anger get the best of you. You, you go to porn. What you have said is true. And one of the things I've realized about Jesus when he's confronting these wounds, he doesn't do it, again, to, 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 to poke fun at us and tell us we're bad people. He does it because unless we confront those wounds, we're never going to tell the story that he wants us to tell. We're never going to get healed. Because so often, like this woman, we keep going to those wells when we are faced with the wounds of rejection or hurt or pain. We go to this well uh, of alcohol, of anger, of frustration, of all these different things, and we think it's going to satisfy. We think it's going to fill us up, but it doesn't. And it's like putting Band-Aid on something that needs stitches. Or you have an amputation, and you just try to put a towel over it and say, everything's fine. Jesus needs to confront your wounds. You need to confront the wounds in your story. Growing up, I, I grew up without a, a, a dad in, in the home. And, and without even realizing it, that wounded me so deeply. Like, I immediately ran to pornography because I thought it would fill the hole that my father left. I immediately ran to trying to be the funniest person in the room because if, if my dad doesn't accept me, maybe someone else will accept me. Maybe, maybe I will be accepted because I'm funny and I'm valued because of who I am and, and the way I make you feel. All these wells. When Jesus is saying, hey, I know you have this wound of rejection, of hurt and pain, and I want to heal it. I want you to tell a better story, and I need to heal it. And so over the years, he has slowly twisted the knife, and it's hurt. Here's, like, when you're confronted with your wounds, when you're confronted with the messed up stuff we do, it hurts. And it hurts to face those things. But Jesus does it because there's, there's really no other way to be healed. That if you just ignore it and you keep going to these wells, it will fill you for a time, but you will be back at noon to fill your cup up again and do the same thing over and over and over. So many of us find ourselves here that we have wounds that we need to be healed 
but we don't want to look at them because they're ugly. And, and, and Jesus, Jesus says something, something interesting in, uh, in, in verse 21. Uh, after she, she says, this is where, you know, we worship, where are we supposed to worship? Jesus said to her, woman, believe me this, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit. So, so what Jesus says in this, in this statement, he, he breaks down the theological argument where, where this woman says, really, I just... I really want to change the subject. I don't want to talk about my five husbands. I don't want to talk about the stuff I do. And, and so she has this theological discussion, and Jesus humors her and says, look, there's coming a time, and in fact it's here, that, that, that people won't worship at a certain place. People will be able to worship wherever they are in spirit and in truth. We don't have to go to Jerusalem. We don't have to go to, to Samaria to worship. We will be able to worship wherever we are. But the key thing is that it's in spirit and truth. And for me, that's always like boggled my mind of like, I never really understood that. But, but as I'm reading this, as I'm reading this, the, the, the fact is that when we talk about spirit and truth, what Jesus is saying, hey, we will worship in the truths about God, that he is faithful, like great is his faithfulness. We'll worship that. We, we will worship God in truth and in spirit. Now, now I'm, I'm just going to show off my intelligence a bit. The Greek word for that is penuma. And, and that word, that specific word, since it's not capitalized, it's not talking about the Holy Spirit. It is talking about every part of your being. And that's interesting. Why would Jesus say that? I think it's because when we're confronted with our wounds, when we're confronted with the fact that Jesus is trying to heal us, when we're confronted with the fact that we have some messed up stories and Jesus wants to engage in those, we can't help but worship with everything that we have. And it, it, it bugs me. Like, it, it just irks me a little bit. And it, this is not knocking you if, like, you aren't expressive in worship. It's not knocking you. But if, if when you worship God, you were just kind of like, Amen, we gotta go. Amen, Denny's just opened. Are we gonna go? Where are we gonna go for lunch? I wonder, ooh, I wonder who's playing football. Uh, that's not what he wants. He doesn't want worship that is more focused on the things that are going on around you. He wants you to worship in spirit and truth. The Spirit is literally, again, everything that is in you. I'm not saying that you need to be like up and down, jumping up every time you start singing. But when you come face to face with God, what is your response and what is your reaction? Because with, also with the invitation, I think a lot of young people, when we see Christians and they worship, and it's so much just standing still, that's not, that's not intriguing. That's not engaging. Not a lot of people really want that because it tells a story of people who are not moved by God. It tells a story of people who are not moved by the power of God and what he's done in our lives. And so, like, you won't see me, like, jumping up and down, but when I'm worshiping, man, 
I'm worshiping because God has done such a work in my life that I can't help but worship with everything that I have. When Jesus confronts the wounds in our life, when we realize how broken we are, and we realize that Jesus has come to engage in our stories and heal us, man, that's, those are the worshipers that God wants. God wants us to realize what he's done in our life and worship him in response and in the same truth that he is great, that he is faithful in all these different truths. But we worship God in spirit and truth. And the reality is there's no brokenness. There is no arrogance. There is no addiction. There is no pain that Jesus can't heal, that Jesus can't come in and work. I mean, most of us, I'm going to guess, haven't had five husbands, maybe. But even if you have, Jesus can move into your story. Jesus can heal the wounds, but you got to let him. You've got to engage in those wounds. Like when, when, when things come up, when, when hurt and pain and rejection comes up, don't run away from it. Don't turn away from it. Lean into it. Lean into who God is and the truth about him. Lean into what God is trying to do in your story. So Jesus confronts the wounds in our story. The last thing, Jesus redeems our story. In verse 25, it says, The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled at that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and told the people. Jesus redeems our story. So Jesus invites this woman to tell a better story. He confronts the wounds of our story. And lastly, he he redeems her story. He she leaves her water jar. And and and, and for for me, like the, the crux of this chapter, as as interesting as this story is and the and the verses to follow, the crux of this chapter, I would say, is this: that Jesus is here. That when Jesus says, I who speak to you am he, that is the crux of this chapter. Like the verse, that Jesus is here, that Messiah is here. One translation says that Jesus, God is in the neighborhood. That God is on the scene in our lives and he's moving and engaging with people, broken people, sinners and saints. God is here. Jesus is here. The Messiah is here to redeem and restore the brokenness in our lives. See, a redeemed story, I think, is, is essential for us. See, because we, as Christians, we as people, we can tell good stories. We can tell stories about how we went and built a well in Africa. We can tell stories of how we fed the homeless every Tuesday or or we can tell stories of how we went to small group. We, we went to church every week for a year and checked off those boxes. We can tell 
good stories, and those are good. But it's not going to cut it. See, what Jesus doesn't want, he doesn't just want a good story. Because a good story is eventually going to pass away. A redeemed story, however, is going to make an eternal impact. Look, the reality is, in most of our histories, the good people are the ones who often fade away. And not for the sake of of wanting to be remembered, but the people with redeemed stories are the ones who make a lasting impact. Look, most likely if you are here today, it's because somebody had a redeemed story and they wanted to tell that story to you. And so it trickles down. And now you want to tell your redeemed story. Now you want to tell your redeemed story to other people. And it makes a lasting and eternal impact. The reality is, and I always use this example, the reality is if Oprah Winfrey doesn't have a good, a, a redeemed story, she will be forgotten. A good story ends in the ground. A good story ends wherever you're buried. But a redeemed story A redeemed story lasts for eternity and has eternal implications. This woman leaves her water jug. She leaves her sin. She leaves her her constant going back and forth, not knowing how to satisfy. She leaves it at the well. She drops it and she goes and tells other people. If you want to know what a mark, the mark of a redeemed story is, it is someone who has left their water jug. Not someone who, who doesn't always, isn't always perfect in, in going back to the well. Not somebody who, who, who doesn't, you know, struggle with it. It's someone who has said, this water jug isn't going to satisfy me. And Jesus, though, Jesus is going to satisfy me, and I need to tell other people. That's what a redeemed story is, and that's what Jesus wants to do with each story in here. Because a good story isn't going to cut it. And we, we see later in the story that, that, that the people in her town, in Sychar, like believe, believe in Jesus. And so this woman who just went to go get some water, who just went to go fill her jug up and was planning on doing the same thing over and over until she died, this woman meets Jesus. This woman's story is all of a sudden changed. She's invited into something. She, she's healed from her wounding. And she's able to leave and tell a redeemed story. See, a redeemed story, a redeemed story is what we need. We don't need good stories of, of people doing good. Those are nice and those, those make great movies. But for eternity, For the world to come, for the new heaven and the new earth, we need redeemed stories. We need your story to be redeemed by Jesus. So what do you talk about? When you're at your job, or you're in line at Walmart, or or you're you're mowing your grass, or, or you're at your neighbor's, or wherever you are, what do you talk about? Do you talk about Jesus and what he's done in your story? Does Jesus make make a mark on your life more than what you do? More more than the good things that you do, do people see Jesus? Do people see 
the wounds in your life. And you say, man, I was messed up. I had some real problems. But Jesus, Jesus came in and he healed those wounds. Man, I had a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. But Jesus healed those wounds. And I was struggling with forgiving this person. But Jesus came in and healed that wound. And I just want to tell you about him. I just want to, I just want to tell my story to you real quick. Is that what you talk about? You know, it's not wrong to talk about, you know, sports, and it's not wrong to talk about other things. It's, it's not wrong to talk about those things, but, and that's all we talk about. But that's all we talk about in, in Monday through Saturday. Then are we really telling a redeemed story? And look, I come face to face with this every day. Because I, I, I hang out with my friends and like, man, I really want to talk about Jesus. I really want to talk about Jesus, but then there comes times where I don't talk about him. What do you talk about? What do we as a church talk about? When we're sharing our story, when we're inviting people into our story, broken people, people who don't look like us, we're inviting, when we invite people into our story, what are we inviting them to? And, and are, we, are we bringing them into a, a relationship that is going to help build and, and confront those wounds and heal those wounds? And then that person is going to leave telling the story about Jesus. What story are we telling? What verse are you going to sing? The reason I really, I love that poem is because every day it requires me to ask, okay, what today, what, what verse am I singing? How am I telling my story today? What am I going to talk about today? Who am I impacting today? Whose story am I going to engage in? Whose story, uh, who, who am I going to invite into uh, the story that I'm telling? So are we telling a redeemed story? Are we telling a story about Jesus? Because he's the only, only thing that eternally matters. He's, he's the only one who can redeem our story. Are we going to keep going back to these wells? Are we going to keep going back to, to porn or alcohol, to anger, to frustration, to, to just, you know, living in a place of rejection, living in fear? Or are we going to tell a redeemed story? Would you pray with me? God, uh, God, we thank you that, that you have moved into the neighborhood and that you are helping us to tell a better story. God, I know I can't say everything I want to about stories and how they've impacted me, but but I, I pray that, that everyone here and the people listening and watching online and the people who are going to hear this later, God, I pray that we would all recognize the power of story and the power of, of telling others our story and listening to other people's stories. God, I pray that, that you would help us to not go to these wells, these empty cisterns that don't amount to anything, but you would help us to accept the invitation to drink from living water, to drink from a river of life, 
Jesus, and through that, that we would confront the wounds in our story, that you would be with us, that your Holy Spirit would be in us, and that he would heal us, and that we can tell a redeemed story, and that we can leave our water jugs behind and never have to go to those wells again. Jesus, help us to tell a better story. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Every week at Velocity, we, we do this thing called communion. Um, and if you're online, um, we'd love for you to join us, whatever you have, whether it's pizza or, or just bread uh, and whatever you have to drink, water, whatever.